Hello and welcome to Two Beers Till Takeoff, the podcast inspired by conversations overheard at the airport bar. Join Phil as he grabs a couple of beers and chats with interesting people from around the world, sharing expert knowledge and hilarious stories that you won't find in your guidebook. So pull up a stool and get ready for an adventure as we explore worlds of travel and beyond with Two Beers Till Takeoff. Four hours in a Taliban headquarters. I had dog meat in Laos. Was a golden retriever? Smack a dirty old smooch <laughs> on our beautiful fish right here. We didn't die, but we fell down the side of the mountain. Hello and welcome to Happy Hour. My name is Phil and today we are in for a great episode with an awesome guest. Animal fans, you may want to stick around until the end of the episode because my guest Nick Clear and I will be doing a top five of the most fascinating animals we've come across in the wild. Let's meet Nick. Nick is a wildlife guide who's been doing so for 13 years. Most of his career has been spent in South Africa, where he's worked in the public and private reserves. Nick has spent most of his time pursuing his greatest passion, big cats. In his spare time, he searches for big cats outside of the African continent in destinations such as India and Brazil, searching for tigers and jaguars. You can follow him on his wildly popular Instagram page, at Nick Clear. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hey, Phil, thanks for having me on, man. It's cool to be here. Uh, I'm hoping to have a beer with me in the next couple of minutes. Uh, I sent my girlfriend uh, just down the road to our neighbor to fetch some because I forgot to get some from the shops earlier. <laughs> hey, it's all good, man. It's it's early here. I, I had a, to be honest with you, I had a couple beers last night. We went to trivia and... Uh, Let's just say uh, I'm on the recovery. Uh, I'm not as strong as I once was. <laughs> yeah, can I, I can be honest that the name, the name uh, when you sent me an invite was enticing. Uh, to have a beer and a chat. It sound, sounds very good. <laughs> of course. Listen, I've got my Guinness cup, if that makes up for anything. Yeah, cool, cool. I've got a cup of coffee I can grab as well, but yeah, no worries. Yeah. So, so Nick, listen, I, I want to kind of start from the top and can, kind of get the listeners to, to, to know you a bit better. So where did you grow up? Um, so I was born in Johannesburg in South Africa, um, and I grew up and went to school, um, sort of like in suburbs near Johannesburg, I guess, before that, um, and was very fortunate from there to, you know, be going, going to the bushes, we call it, yeah, South Africa, going on safari a couple of times a year, of the year with my family, and um, yeah, played a lot of sport, was outside a lot of the time, and that sort of led to me doing what I do now, I guess. What was what was growing up in South Africa like for you? A yeah, very good life, man. Um, you know, it's school. Um, if I can compare, I don't know how to compare to Canada because the weather's slightly different, <laughs> as you can see at the back. Yeah, it's a little bit different. <laughs> uh, so it was nice, man. We used, you know, ride our bicycles to school and. All the friends would have, I guess, like spend a lot of time like in the parks and stuff like that or playing sports or riding around and at each other's houses and things like that or whatever. So yeah, just like a normal childhood, I guess. Um, very outdoorsy because of our weather. Lots of time down at the coast. Um, lots of time around animals and stuff, I guess, as well. Um, so yeah, good, really nice childhood, man. Yeah. And just by the way, I just want to make a, a, a little little comment, but this might be the first ever podcast I do that a fucking gir- a giraffe or a lion might show up. Because <laughs> you're yeah. you're right on the on the edge of Kruger National Park, right? Yeah, so we're not we're not on the Kruger National Park, but we're on a, like a sort of a wildlife estate nearby. Um, so we are fenced in the, the whole estate, but yes, there's lions and stuff that can walk up to my house and stuff like that. So 
It doesn't happen um, very often, but I mean, we have seen stuff here. We had a leopard kill outside our house a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we hear the lions at night time. The lions are calling this morning, um, not too far away, so probably within a kilometer, I'd say, um, uh, sleeping somewhere nearby. I guess they're not going to show up now. It's hot, so they're not going to be walking around now. It it's a good cut. strategic time to do a podcast, to have your back turned to the wild. Ah, uh, yeah, but you can hear things. Things things would give it away. It's actually it's not what people think it is. It's uh, you, you sort of can get warning signs and stuff like that. Birds will let you know if lions are on the move or leopards are on the move and things, and they make certain calls. So once you tune into that, you kind of always have your eyes open everywhere in a sense, and they can let you Yeah. And also, I mean, the chance of a lion sneaking up on you are also very small. They, they mind their own business. So it's cool. It's good to know. So from your Instagram page, it's easy to tell that you seem so happy when you're around these animals. There's videos, there's pictures, there's videos and pictures of animals on you. Like you're very close proximity to, you know, cheetahs. There's pictures of lions, tigers, elephants, jack, like name it. He, he's, this guy is, is, is around it. So how did you develop this love for animals? Um, again, I think I was just very fortunate growing up that I, um, spent a lot of time with animals, I guess. I had like pets, just like everybody else, dogs and cats and things like that. And maybe a fish and a bird and, um, was very interested in animals and my family was very interested in the wild. So, you know, spent a lot of time with animals sort of growing up and then going and seeing animals in the wild and, um, visiting various different places, I guess, to see lions and elephants and leopards and whatever. Um, and it's something that's sort of, it's a part of my life more than it's something I chose to do. I think it just sort of became a way of life. And, um, I'm very fortunate that I can, you know, make a living from it. It's sort of, it's not necessarily always a job. It's definitely admin sides to working in it. But when you're in the field and when you're around the animals, it's, yeah, it's something really special, man. Uh, so listen, I need, I want to talk about animal behavior. You kind of talked about it a little bit, you know, that lions won't come up on you because, or like, you'll know that they're coming because the birds will uh, alert you. Sure. I, I want to talk about animal behavior and how you're able to kind of approach these animals. Because like I said, in your Instagram page, you're, you're, you're getting so close to these animals. How do you develop that kind of relationship with the animals? Um, so I guess it, it very much depends on the situation. So it's um, something I try and make clear in the page as well as that it's not, um, you know, I'm not trying in any way to walk up to every single animal I see and try and make contact or anything like that. But there's certain situations, I'll take an example. Let's just take cheetahs, for example. Um, there are cheetahs that I've worked with in the past that have been hand-raised. Um, and so once these cheetahs have been hand-raised and they've been fed by humans, you know, even to the point that they've been nursed off of a bottle and things like that, people think it's very cute in the beginning and all of that. But having a full-grown cheetah run around in your house, logistically, is not, you know, not the best. They'll rip stuff yeah. up. They'll, you know, probably kill your dog and your cat and a couple other things, whatever around, you know, the neighbor's dog or whatever. And people get rid of them. And so basically sometimes in most situations, you've got to take over a cat like that or something and work with that cat and try and get it back into a situation. It doesn't mean that that cat loses the love for people though. They have imprinted on us. So they become like a, you know, like a, almost in essence like a dog um, where they imprint on you. And Cheetahs is one of the big cats that I trust. Um, I wouldn't necessarily do the same thing with tigers or leopards. Um, even lions, I think I feel a little bit different, although you can make a relationship with them. Um, I wouldn't try and chase the relationship, but if it's there, 
I allow it to happen, if that makes any sense. So with the cheaters, you can work with them because they've had the contacts and because you know they're not going to hurt you as well. You can work with them and try and use that relationship to get them into the wild. So that's something quite important to know that it's not to make contact, just to make contact. So only if it's necessary or if you're just trying not to disturb. So in the case of the meerkats, for example, everybody loves the, the meerkats running around yeah. in your head and all of that stuff. That is fantastic and that is completely harmless for both sides. Because all is what you end up doing actually in essence is you're lying on the you're getting bitten by ants and things like this. It's not as glamorous as it as it seems. It's hot. <laughs> you lie on the runs and, and there's nothing higher around except for you. So the meerkats have become used to seeing people coming and lying there and some of them are relaxed enough to come towards you and approach you. And if you have the right body language and if you have the right intention, I guess, if you call it as well, the animal will just use you as a mound. They just think you're a buddy. They think that you're just a fellow creature they're just there to help them in that moment, which is... In my opinion, beautiful. I think it's just an incredible time to be there, you know. So, yeah, that's that's like the, the way that I look at it. And it's an inexplicable feeling on the inside of why or when I know when to sit or do or whatever. And I'm not saying it's always right. I'm not saying it's ever wrong or whatever. I've just, in my mind, there's, you know, times where I've just felt cool. It's time to leave now or let's just wait over here and something will come or whatever. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. But as long as the animal feels happy, then I'm at ease as well. So I think that that's a big part of it. And animals can recognize that more than we realize. We are sort of as humans for the most part have lost contact with that even with each other because of phones and because of computers and because of all of this like screen between us and everybody else we've lost that feeling to like connect to everything and i think that we've lost the ability to connect to nature even more so like more than we've lost to people we've separated ourselves for so long that we've forgotten how to be happy just sitting in the woods around the fire just with your friends like you know it's just such a simple thing and how to connect with an animal and how to know when it's okay to be there and when it's okay not to be there or when to leave yeah. or with an animal's cues you know? and i think it's just kind of like a, a reminder of that because when you do that activity like for me like i like my my family we do like hunting and stuff like that and like returning to the woods you know even just for a few days you just like it just feels like it's a total reset Hundred percent, yeah. And, and, and like you said, it's it's kind of scary because like you look at you know the screens that we're 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 dealing with all the screens that we have in our lives, and then we're looking at you know the metaverse becoming something that's a lot more implemented into our you know day to day lives. It's like we're getting further and further away from returning to nature. And if you think about it, like. The happiest moments of your life are those moments of connectivity, whether it be connected to a person, to a friend, to a loved one, to a family member, to you know a child or to an animal. It's a happy, happy time to have that like connection where both you and that other side know that you're like happy to see each other sort of thing. So people are craving this more and more and separating themselves more and more from it. If that makes any sense. So like there's a way to do it. I just got a beer. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's like magic, eh? Just showed up. So this this beer is from Namibia, just next to South Africa. Oh, nice. Very nice beer. <laughs> I, I've been I've been actually uh, really interested in Namibia because I've heard they've got like a really crazy beer culture there. Yeah, they've got it's a so this is made basically on the edge of um, the, Namib the Namibian coast, um, which is just behind your head there, actually on the on the map. Yeah. Um and yeah, I've been to the brewery. It's really delicious. Good beer. It's a German. It's a German beer. Actually, based in Namibia. Yeah, it's it's a German colony, correct? Yeah, yeah. Nice. So Nick, listen, uh, like you said, you know, you're you're approaching these animals. You're 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 getting a bit of a read off these animals, but you're not always kind of in your background. You're not or in your backyard. 
in South Africa. Sometimes, you no, know, like I said, you're in Brazil, you're in India, you're in different parts of Africa. So do you ever get scared getting close to wild animals? Um, so like I said, it's not that I'm necessarily going around and, and chasing um, encounters on foot with things. It's just in places where, where it might be okay. So for example, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to Uganda and we're going for the gorilla trek. And the only way to do that is on foot. So you walk and you in amongst the gorillas and things like that in the forest. And we're going to be doing the same with chimpanzees as well on the same trip. So it's going to be you know, really special. But my point being yeah. is that that's on foot. And for some reason, people think that that's okay to be on foot with the great apes. But then they frown upon it when people are closer to other animals and things like that, which again, I think is people having a fear of separation in my mind anyway. Um, I think that the, you know, the potential of walking in amongst, not in amongst a herd of elephants necessarily, but being in the same spaces, then sharing the spaces with them with them and having a respect, the elephants will leave you alone. You know, lions would leave you alone. Not necessarily that you're walking up and trying to chase them or trying to sit near near to them or anything like that. But for the most part, completely wild animals would leave you alone. They wouldn't want to have contact. But as long as you look and are relaxed, so are they. As soon as you tense up, even if you try and hide it, as soon as you tense up, the animal can see and feel the tangible difference in the air. So that like it becomes something different. If, for example, I go to Brazil, we might be very close to jaguars, but we are on a boat. So it's the same as going on a safari in Africa and sitting on, a, on an open game view. It's not, uh, it's not, really, not really the same thing, even though you're sitting five meters or 10 meters away from a jaguar or a lion in the open air, it's not the same as being on the ground. On the ground is a completely different reaction from the animal and a completely different reaction from the person. And I'm in no way saying that you should be seeking out going in and interacting with animals. What I am saying though is that it's possible to live within an area where there is wild animals and to not be scared all the time and to not think that everything is out there coming to get you because people have got this perception and I'm sure the same thing happens in Canada as well. But as soon as you walk into the woods, the big bad bear is going to be behind the tree and it's going to it's going to come and it's going to get you, right? Animals don't think like that. It's not like they're just waiting there the whole life going, where's the human? Where's the human? Somebody's the home. You know, like they don't, they don't think like that. We used to be part of the system. So I just think that there's more, there's more to it than just going and sitting for the encounter. It's, it's like a, a lost feeling that we can share the space and they can be relaxed and so can we. Except there's various different species of animals where it's not necessarily about the interaction or about how close you can be, but there might be a big clearing in a savanna somewhere and you walk in and there's a herd of elephants feeding and you go sit next to the tree. You might sit there by yourself or you might sit there with a couple of people if you've got guests or whatever. And you sit and you just shared in space and there's no i mean apart from people taking a video there's no screens and stuff like that there's no that's like the most sort of connectivity if you will to to the system that you would have but otherwise it's you and the animal you forget about everything else like it all just disappears and that acceptance is incredible animal carries on about us there afterwards if nothing's happened so do you and what is happening so like that's, yeah. that's what i'm trying to encourage on my page is not not complete fear of everything and at the same time not to just try and go and take a selfie next to a part of lions that's eating a buffalo because you probably will get killed if you do that <laughs> exactly yeah i mean it, it, chilling with the elephants with a bit of Nib namibian beer just sounds like the dream uh but exactly so imagine imagine the scene imagine you sitting now you and a buddy let's just say you and me now we're having exactly the same chat but they've got a cooler box next to us and we're sitting uh, we've got our, our tent on the back of a car behind us and we've got a little fire going and we're sitting with our back against the tree watching a small waterhole 20 meters away sipping on a beer and watching and seeing what comes to the waterhole and the elephant comes by and the elephant comes and drinks and you're having a beer you have a drink with the elephants the elephant goes 
does, a giraffe might come, other antelope might come, you might get lion come, you, know, you never know. Like, it's just a cool scene. It's the nice. beauty of the na- of nature, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, but like, like, I guess the, the reason I did ask you that question is because I, I, I kind of think back to kind of my sentiment sometimes going in the woods in Canada. Because like, like I said, there's, there's, or like you said, there's some animals that you're, you feel comfortable with or maybe less threatened. Uh, for example, like for us, maybe like a deer or, you know, some of the smaller game, I'd be like fine to see in the woods, but you can 100% encounter like black bears. Sure. Uh, even moose can be very dangerous, which people don't really know. They're moose, for those who don't know, are larger than horses and they've been known to like trample people, right? So, Bears too, like like for example, there's a guy in my village where I where I went to high school. He was just walking his dog in like the potato fields, and a bear attacked him. And the only reason why he survived is because he held on to the bear's tongue. Is, yeah. So so it's it's maybe more a question relating from where I'm coming from than more than seeing what I've seen on your Instagram page because what I've seen on your Instagram page is you know nothing but respect for the nature. Uh, you know, just kind of capturing the beauty of nature, man. Yeah. And, and so it's that's 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 where the question, I guess, was coming from. So yeah, so I like definitely again, like I, I I for sure know that things happen, things happen in Africa, things happen in Canada, things happen in South America, and whatever anywhere that there's people and there's wild animals, accidents are bound to happen. Um, I don't again don't necessarily think that there's. Uh, I know it's it sounds it's I'm simplifying the whole thing. It sounds a lot more simple that the bears just not just waiting to come and get somebody. That's for sure. It's not. No. Um, but there's normally something that's happened. There's normally like food involved, or there's normally that the animals felt trapped or threatened in some way, or that there's cubs nearby, or that the bears and exactly. them, or the lion or the elephants or the or whatever it might be. And there's definitely exceptions. But as there's exceptions with having a car accident or having a coconut fall on your head, or you know the same sort of thing, I think that the odds are quite small and if you know what you're doing i'm not saying that everybody should just go running into the wild uh, definitely not saying yes we've lost the, you, you can't just go out there if you don't know what's going on because like i said the connectivity of the lust and the feeding and the understanding it has to be taught even as even if we were born way back in the day you're not born with the inherent knowledge you might be born with strands of it in your dna but you still need to be taught so people need to be taught how to be in the wild how to be, how to behave around animals, how to live within a system. Yes, if you live in a wild system, you can't leave your trash bag on the floor outside because the bears or the hyenas are going to come and rip it up. It's, you know, they're attracted to food. That's the behavior of the bear. You can't change that. You can't teach that behavior. No, you're not allowed to. This is the rubbish bag. We must adapt. And if we can adapt, we can live within the system and probably change the whole way that people live on earth in essence eventually because we could lessen farming. We could go a little bit more self-sufficient. We could like use the hunting that's there and whatever to like well, the culling that has to be done to feed people to feed areas like you need to you need to sort of like control populations you know um you know there's a whole bunch of different things i just think that the connectivity is the most important part and it, it's been forgotten it needs to be restored because it's it's almost scary how there's two sides to my just like my instagram for example it's just a small little like flash in the pan compared to what happens in the world guys but there's a massive reaction to either positive to the way that i am with animals or hugely negative where people are like you have to be separated we must lock animals away in the wild and leave them alone leave them alone for their own good and you're like no but that's not where is alone on, on earth Rears alone. Everywhere there's people. You can't just leave animals anywhere because if you leave something, it will be exploited by someone. There's going to be a country somewhere along the line that's going to come along and say, oh, there's 
10 billion fish hanging out in this bay, let's take it. If it's just not it's money. It's human nature yeah, in some ways, right? If it's not, if there's not a relationship, if the animals are not making money for the people, in some way they will be killed or the land will be taken. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, there has to be something. And in my opinion, like with how much the wild has shrunk and how many animals are sort of in captivity, we can use the best of a worst situation and take animals that have had a captive and terrible upbringing and give them hope of a better life afterwards and rewild areas that have been left as like deserted farms and stuff, for example. Use those places, reintroduce some animals, get local species back, get species that are not local and make a fenced off space but it's not necessarily a zoo or anything like that. It's more of a, a sanctuary. But then that a species of animal that doesn't have a place to live in its own natural environment maybe anymore can at least live and people can see what it is, fall in love with it. And maybe the, one, the few that do remain can be protected because people have had that opportunity. Yeah, it just, again, is just like slightly different way of looking at it. But the reaction is scary. And I feel that if people don't connect, if people don't connect soon again, it's going to be completely gone because it's so close to just being extremely lost. You know, it's just getting thinner. We've seen that with a few animals, right? Like rhinoceroses and, and uh, like a few other animals I know in Africa, like this just just because of overhunting. And I, and I think this is kind of a natural segue to get into the con conservation meaning because we, we've kind of had this discussion a bit off off. Uh, off screen here that what kind of conservation means for us, right? You, you discussed, you know, what conservation means for you. Whereas when I hear conservation, just having, uh, I mean, conservation used to be on our license plates on our vehicles. That's how big conservation, I guess, is, is ingrained in, in Canada. Uh, for us, I guess, with, you know, maybe uh, a more limited uh, population, for us, conservation means uh, controlling the animal population. Yes, it's true. So I, I think it's it's kind of like an interesting uh, kind of comparison, right? Because like for you, it's it's making sure that we don't let these animals go instinct, making yeah. sure that they're in a safe area and not exploited. Whereas in Canada, it's like we have deer fencing around our highways because at night and deer, moose, bears, like they commonly hit by like vehicles and people die. Like it's yeah, so I think it's um there's two there's there's a couple there's many, many, many angles to look at it look at it from. But the ultimate the ultimate reason I guess up there it, that it happens is because the predators have been thinned out, right? And so human populated areas or whatever predators have been thinned out, so the deer population has risen. So now humans have to control the population because it it's just out of hand because they're not the deers are not having to eat in certain places and struggle for certain times of year. Like that we spoke briefly about the wolves of Yellowstone basically. But the yeah. wolves made deer move away from the river lines, for example, and allowed certain plants to grow back and allowed, you know, other species to come in and then everything's it balances out and the deer numbers might be 10 per, I don't know, 10 per square, 100 miles or whatever it might be, instead of 100, whatever whatever the population is around there. So what, on this side, there's a couple of different ways to look at it, a, a cheetah or a lion or a whatever. If you protect that species, you protect necessarily for, for us in Africa, the whole network underneath, because without that cat or whatever being there, that land is relatively for a lot of people worthless, unless you're in the hunting world and you just want to be hunting antelope and stuff like that, which is, which is fine. It's got its place in conservation for sure. Um, but my point being is that, um, so I kind of lost 
like passive forte. Uh, like the kind of talking about protecting the predators. Yes. So, so excuse me. So protecting the predator at the top of the chain then protects the land, protects, you know, all the elephants, protects the antelope, protects the birds, protects the snakes, protects the insects, protects the water line, protects the whatever by one species. So that's kind of like my target at the moment for conservation and also because they get exploited because they are the predator and whatever, not necessarily the cheetah, but the lion or the leopard or the whatever, they get shot. And the ripple effect underneath that could be something like what happens in Canada where there's too many deers that people are like hitting them so often at night that you have to fence them off of the road. Rather than that situation happen is allow these allow these places to have the predators back to keep the populations strong. Because a, a cheetah, for example, will take out the weaker of whatever species that it might be that it's hunting, whether it be springbok, whether it be impala, or whether it be lechware, depending on where it lives. It keeps that population of those antelope nice and strong and it keeps them under control as well so that they can't just breed and trample everything out because eventually they're going to kill themselves basically i'm sure that the value of the forests and whatever around where the deer numbers have gone up over the years have lost nutritional value there's probably less saplings there's probably like you know start getting an age difference between how many babies are making it through and how many trees are super old and what's in between you know like the yeah. balance the balance eventually will there's a lot more to it than any of us sort of understand and it's to try and, I guess, keep that balance going and just to keep the, keep the world like somewhat wild because it's beautiful, man. Like you've spent time in the wild. I'm sure many people up in Canada are fortunate because you've got an incredible wilderness out there still. Spend time in the wild. I'm fortunate in South Africa to have that. But even people in our countries have not. And it's, you know, sad. Like if people do listen to this, whatever, like, you know, whoever does, let's encourage them to get outside and go and sit in the woods somewhere and whatever and not go and try and take like a bear under the chin but go and sit somewhere go and sit in a hide and wait for stuff to come down to a pond in the forest or whatever and come have a drink or i don't know it's usually valuable yeah absolutely yeah yeah i i think it's uh what what you're saying with with focusing on the predator i think that's really important for for this region because i i shared with you a, a picture uh like of the of a deer getting eaten on a basically someone's front lawn so for us in our province, we have kind of the north that has a bit worse, worse, uh, winters. And in the south, uh, the winters are just not as, not as excruciating. There's not as much snow, not as much cold. And what we've seen is kind of a large migration of deer towards the south of the province. And now it seems that like deer are in the suburbs and to a point they're almost like domesticated. Like people have, have talked about, like in the region have talked about deers like using crosswalks mm. deers uh you know just chilling on people's lawns like their dog hanging around their deer like the, the deer and they're just like hanging out so it's it's and now we're kind of seeing maybe some of the predators you know the coyotes coming in and realizing that all these deer are in this concentrated suburban area so it's going to be an interesting uh you might find some, you might find something something like you know the food source might have thinned out where it is or it could be something positive like this is also another way to look at it and hope maybe the predator population has done really well in those areas that people don't get to go to a lot of the time and maybe they're doing well and and you know there's new packs having to spread and find new ground i think the the fact that there's like deer and stuff all around villages and stuff like that i think i think it's inevitable wherever it is in the world because you know we we, we encroach on whatever land is left more and more and more and more and more and also like areas around where there's people are, are idyllic 
conditions a lot of time, you know, like grass is watered and plants are watered and such as nice vegetation. And if there's wild animals, it's irresistible to come towards that. And I don't know, like I've, for sure the winters must have something to do with it, but there's probably so much food and hopefully, yeah. hopefully. The, the winters are, are very tough. Yeah. And oftentimes deer, what they'll do is if the snow's starting to melt, they'll just fall through and then coyotes or bears or whatever will just come up and eat them. Damn it. So it's, it's kind of sad. Uh, I, I'd love to know your, your thoughts on hunting. And also, have you ever gone hunting? Yeah, no. So I haven't. I haven't. Um, I, I haven't gone commercial hunting. I have. I have shot. I have shot animals before for um, purposes of feeding um, other other animals that need to be fed. Cheetahs, things like that, for example, that need to be fed. And you know, there's no choice but to hunt something for them. So I have done that. You know, little rabbits, like antelope, um, things like that. Um, I don't have a I don't have a problem with with hunting in general if it's done in the right way, um, you know, and if it's done for the right reasons. I, I, I do struggle a little bit when it comes to some forms of of trophy hunting, although I do understand in the bigger picture of things. The, the more and more you go into conservation, the more that you understand some things have got places. But I hate things like you know canned lion hunting or baiting something onto a kill to shoot it or whatever i, I don't I, i've got no support in my heart to be able to say that you can shoot a, a cat or an elephant or whatever being that just you know something that just seems unnatural for it to to happen in my opinion you know unless there was back in the day a threat to your village and they had to take out this lion because it was threatening lives of people and stuff then i kind of understand and maybe maybe in the beginning when there was hundreds of thousands of lions running around africa and there was thousands of tigers in india and all of this type of thing there was a space to you know, shoot one or two here and there, but that's gone too far. But when it comes to hunting, particularly where you are, deer and stuff like that, I think it's crucial. I think like it should be encouraged because what else is going to happen other than the whole ecosystem will eventually collapse. Like I said, like if you just let the deer population go there, they'll eventually kill all of themselves and they'll take the forest with them and whatever other creatures rely on that forest from insect to bird to snake to whatever else might be there, you know, whatever else might be around. So it has to be, it has to be done. And I kind of prefer eating natural meats to eating processed whatever and whether it be supporting huge beef farms or whatever like that or whatever you know you don't want to support that on the bigger scale of things so why not nope. start living off i mean if everybody in your area had to say cool we are allowed to take let's just say i don't know how many people are or where you are exactly but let's just say each person or each family a year was allowed to take two deer it'll surely help you might not be it might not be depending on your family all the meat for the whole year long or whatever in case my people will feed your family for a long time it'll stop a couple of cars probably more than a couple of cars being slaughtered somewhere because you're only buying certain parts and whatever right and you use that whole thing and you make sausages and you make steaks and you make mince and you make whatever and you've got all of that whatever to live on i think that's much better for everybody involved i mean if you look at the if you look at animals on earth there's a, a billion sheep and a billion cows and 10 billion chickens or whatever the numbers are there's some something ridiculous like that you know probably more it must be more than a billion chickens 10 billion 20 billion i don't know mm. it's ridiculous like you know yeah. it's 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 retarded and that's it's not the natural meat that we're supposed to be eating right it's the genetically modified injected with growth hormone uh who knows what we're eating right but if you like you said if you source your own meat and you do it in a sustainable way 
that's the way to eat the best meat, the best nutrients for your body, right? On the extreme, on the other side, the answer is also not to be, like, I'm not saying that the answer is not to be, like, the answer is what everybody wants it to be, right? You can eat as much meat as you want, or you can eat as much vegetables as you want, or whatever. Like, for me, it's it's up to each person's needs, physically and mentally, and whatever goes into the rest of it, I understand. But the answer is not for the whole world to go vegetarian or vegan, or the whole world no, to go carnival. Because the other extreme of it, if you go away from meat, is then flipping like you, you're taking out massive forests and you're planting just banana trees or just soya or just whatever it is that you're trying to produce you go monoculture and you just take down an entire ecosystem that had all of these antelope that you're trying to apparently save it takes all the way away completely, completely kills the whole ecosystem exactly yeah. that's that's something that people don't they don't consider yeah so because people that's what i'm saying again it comes down to the connectivity because people are so far disconnected from the wild that they don't realize that a soya bean also was grown where they once was wild like everything was wild right and we were a part of it and we eventually we first fenced ourselves in and eventually as the space grew and grew and then the wild the wild became like this the wild was the one that became fenced in and, and has been completely exploited so there needs to be a balance for sure but where hunting comes in and this goes back to the question so we ramble every time but it comes back to the question. I agree with it. And in places where it's needed, it must be done. Like it, you know, even something and as harsh as it was for some people to hear, it's the honest truth of it. Something like an elephant, they need to be shot in some areas because they completely wipe out everything for all of the other animals in that area as well. So because areas are fenced off, that is also the ugly side of conservation. That's a side that I fortunately don't work on, but there's people that have to do that. All these national parks and things like that through Africa that are fenced off have to have some form of population control. There's a certain number of elephants or impalas or lions or whatever that they are able to house on that property. They're, all of these places are way over on their elephant count. And if you see the destruction that the elephants cause over the time, you know, the only answer would be to move them all through Africa the way that elephants were naturally supposed to live free and be able to walk forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and never be able to deplete anything because they have the whole of Africa to eat. Like, you know, you have to, in some of those areas, hunt those creatures as well. So that's, in my opinion, is where you could look at bringing like the, the trophy hunting people in that want to come and kill an elephant or whatever. Those are the places that you should then do it and say, cool, we have to kill so many elephants this year because we are 300 over how, how many we should have on this property. Otherwise, all the lions, all the cooters, all the antelope, all the everything is going to die because the elephants are going to take down, squash all the trees. You know, we're going to lose all our birds. We're going to lose whatever. Then it's got its place. But just to go and like, if it's for fun to just go and shoot as much as you can shoot it's i don't know maybe maybe it's unnecessary even if it is fun for people that enjoy hunting and stuff maybe it's unnecessary to just keep on killing and killing and killing you know yeah. unless, unless it needs to be done you know, I don't know. you can shoot you can shoot yeah. targets we can build things that you can shoot Cat pigeon shooting is fun <laughs> you know so it's, 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 there's, there's alternatives but nick listen i, I want to talk about I want to talk about uh, your tour company, uh, Clear Exposure. Uh, can you maybe tell people, you know, if they decide to book with you, what they can kind of expect, what kind of animals you can typically see? Um, so that depends very much on the guest. So, for example, let's just say you wanted to come on a safari with me for, I would probably say to you, you know, like, is it just you coming? Are you coming with someone? Do you want to join like other people? Let's, 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 let's play this situation here. So it's, 
So I, I just got recently engaged. We're looking to do a honeymoon. We're saying, all right, we want to do safari with Nick. What what does that kind of look like? Or, or let's let's play that situation. Cool. So first time safari? Yes. Cool. So I'd suggest for you guys to come to South Africa then if you're coming down for your honeymoon. Spend a bit of time in Cape Town. Go down there some beautiful beaches and you can go to some vineyards and stuff like that and spend some really nice alone time and whatever and get a little bit drunk tasting some nice South African wines, go to the beach, see some penguins, go see Table Mountain, have a cool time and then head on safari from there. And that will depend on what you want to see. If you want to see lions and elephants and all of that type of thing, I'd probably bring you up to the northeast so you go from the southwest of the country all the way up to the northeast and i would then you know take then that's where i would meet you and take you on the safari so i'd organize and make sure that the first part of it was sorted for you and whatever and then meet you at the safari beginning of the safari and host you on the trip and show you whatever it was that you wanted to see and you know and that that level would depend on the person's budget so you know, the depends on the level of lodging that you want to go to, what experience you want to have. If you want to go out of South Africa and go to Kenya or Tanzania or Botswana afterwards. Go to Namibia, Namibia to have a beer. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Be a very expensive beer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, well, that's that sounds cool, man. And 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 I encourage uh, uh, people listening if you are interested in kind of going into a safari, go check out Nick's stuff. Nick uh, Nick's company is called Clear Exposure. Um, I have a quick question here. I know we're kind of on a little bit of a time limit here. Uh, one quick question around sustainable f- safari. How can people kind of focus on, or how can what are the the steps or things that they can do to make sure that the safari they're they're or the activities that they're doing are sustainable? So I think first and foremost, the most important thing to remember is when you come on safari, like you might be personally coming out and you and, and your your new wife, for example, are coming out and you're amazed. Like, oh, we're seeing our first lion, we're seeing our first elephant, we're seeing our first leopard. Cool. We're staying at a lodge that costs a thousand dollars a night. It's super fancy. We're getting nice food. We can have nice pictures. We're going to see nice animals. Cool. It's a much bigger picture than that necessarily because behind the scenes there's a lot of people being supported on that thousand dollars a night there's you know from the lady cleaning your room to the butler to the person that's driven your food and to the it creates like a, a massive job around for the people that live around these areas and a lot of reserves have got these big rural settlements particularly in africa and india where i've seen the edge of game reserves people congregate and they live because there's opportunity there so keeping the place wild and keeping people in love with animals and things like that and making people come to these reserves is directly supporting protecting that area and protecting the people around it is keeping it safe as well so i think that's the way to preserve and maybe to set the mindset of like if you come on safari you're doing more than just coming and benefiting yourself by going on safari you are making a difference to the place that you wherever it might be that you're going to go you're making a difference to that place to keep it going so my my if if you're going to have a responsibility as a consumer my my suggestion would be to do your research on making sure that you're going to a lodge that's actively doing something to help the community and help the animals or something like that 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 would be my answer on that one because anywhere you go you're going to fly and you're going to drive and you're going to have probably an air conditioner or a fan or something in your room or it's going to be an impact on the environment wherever you go but if you can support a community and support keeping a place wild then it should go through no or i guess the short answer of it is just booking with clear exposure right definitely <laughs> <laughs> welcome to come with yeah <laughs> all right so let's get into top five of our most fascinating animals we've seen in the wild so nick the, the way that this segment works is you pick five i pick five and at the end uh at the end i guess this 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 uh episode is going to be dropped and then on the sunday of that episode of that episode being dropped People will then get the, the opportunity to, to pick which team they think is 
the best. Okay, cool. So as the guest, I would uh, you can go first. So five. So just say again the category five best animals. So, so most oh, fascinating sorry. animals we've seen in the wild. Most fascinating animals we've seen in the wild. And okay, so I'll start off on number five. I'll say the pangolin, which is like an armadillo. It's a very very unique creature. Um, that comes out mainly at night and it eats uh, mainly ants and termites. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I just heard you typing on there. So yeah, it's a beautiful little creature. Um, that'd probably be number five. Well, I, 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 I think I know what it is, but I'd have to definitely Google it to, to really know what it looks like. Sure. Uh, okay. So, and, and this is uh, kind of in snake. So I'll, I'll go first or you, you go first and then I go twice okay. and then you go twice and it sort of goes back and forth so my most fascinating animal i've seen in the wild in, in no particular order but one of the ones that was the most uh, interesting for me was the moose i gotta go with the homer pick it's like i said it's it's one of the most interesting animals for me because it's larger than a horse when you're hunting it you can barely even hear that it's moving or, an animal this size and their awareness and, and just their how deliberate and they're just so majestic when they're walking around in the wild is is fascinating to see and also it's kind of funny that they kind of have a ball sack underneath their throat so it's it's, it's an interesting looking animal but definitely yeah. one that we uh in my family we definitely eat a lot of moose and moose is is uh i've heard it's delicious you know, when we can hunt it it's 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 one that we go for yeah. number two that i'm going to go with is one that i encountered in peru and it's one of the animals that I, I I remember looking at it and just not understanding what the fuck was going on. It's the toucan. Beautiful birds. The toucan is so weird, right? Because its beak is just as big as its body. Yeah. It's so different. Right, beautiful, beautiful birds, and man, they're incredible. If we're gonna go, okay, we're gonna go South America. So I do two in a row now. Yeah. Okay, so I say okay, we'll go number four then South America. I'll go with the giant's anteater. Um, nice. That was. A, a ridiculous creature to see. So I, I was very fortunate. I spent some time with the, a, an organization called the Jaguar ID Project. Um, I, I spent three months with them volunteering and getting to help the projects and whatever. And that was incredible. And we were on a property setting camera traps and things looking for Jaguars that were coming onto this farm. And while we were walking, we saw a giant anteater and I'd always wanted to see one. We'd seen it on camera trap, but I'd never seen one. And they are big, dude. They are massive. So yeah, I just did a bit of Googling there and see what that thing looks like. It is enormous. And it's forearms. It makes you feel it makes you feel insignificant. That thing if it if it slashed you, I mean it's quite cool as like like this to like dig into the ground and stuff and it's if it slashed you, you'd be toast. I think it'd feel you'd feel oh, yeah. from orange, man. Like, yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Hey, where did you say you saw that? In Brazil, um, in the wow. Pantanal, in Brazil, yeah. So that would be okay. So there we go, number four. And then I'll stick in Brazil, and I'll say number three is Jaguar. Um, and the Jaguar, I think something that I particularly wanted to see uh, my whole life, and, and I've got to see now a number of times, um, is the Jaguar hunting a caiman, um, which is like an it's in the alligator family in the water. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that we, is, we saw some in Peru, yeah. That is incredible to see, man. Like, so I've seen I've seen some big ones be caught, some two and a half meter caiman be caught by caught by a Jaguar wrestled in the water and stuff like that. Uh, it, it's that doesn't make sense to see. It, it, you know, it, like confuses your eyes even. It's 
it's incredible to watch. Just the cat wrestling with the giant, giant lizard in the water. Um, and so the cabin sort of wears out and then they drag it off to the side. You don't see this part for the most part. I have seen it once or twice selectively, but they go off and they kill the cabin up on the bank normally. And the way they do it is it just bites into the skull and they just completely just disable the cabin there. So yeah, that's insane. Yeah. A cat eating a lizard. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So that that's yeah, that's really that's definitely upgraded. It's one of the most incredible things I've seen. Yeah. Right on. Uh my number three is going to be one that we've talked about a little bit, but uh the black bear. Uh black bear, I've gone on multiple black bear hunts, seen them in the wild. I think that they're they kind of break the physics of the world. You see a bear and your natural reaction is you're like, I can outrun this thing. They can run so fast, they can climb trees. So there's literally no escaping a bear. Let's say it's attacking you. You're there's you just need to fight it off as best as you can and hope that it's not a female with cubs. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a uh, yeah. It's an an anomaly in the wild for me because these animals are you know they sleep for a season. Like it's just it's a really weird animal, but so gigantic in the wild. My number four is going to be uh, the reindeer or, or the caribou. Uh, so we yeah. call them caribou in Canada, the indigenous word, I guess. And uh, so I used to live in uh, Iqaluit. So it's in the north. So I guess right here uh, yeah. in the north. So the same parallel is like Alaska. And uh, up there, it's super rural. Uh, you'd have to get your food like boated in because eight months of the year, you've basically got snow and ice so you can't really grow anything so your 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 meat source or your your, your nutrients are kind of finite if let's say that there's a, an issue with the, the 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 icebreaker so there's an icebreaker that comes to bring in the food so essentially you can either plane it in or bring it in with the, the icebreaker but it's just like to to feed a population of like five six thousand people you need kind of your alternate sources. So we'd often go caribou hunting. I think you kill like seven per year or something like that. And yeah, that's what we would do. We'd go reindeer hunting and it was so crazy because it's hunting for those things. It's like uh, basically ask the locals where, it's, where are the reindeer and then they'd kind of tell you approximately where it was. You take your skidoo and go out and just go look because they're a pack animal. So you just go look for the pack and then just, yeah, shoot a couple and then just skin them. Yeah. Got them got and then just bring them back and put them in the freezer. I got to see reindeer in Sweden last year. Well, beautiful man, there. Very cool looking antelope. Oh dear, actually, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah. Very, very, very cool. Um, I'm gonna go with an unusual one then. Um, there's a an antelope in Kenya that I saw. I'm gonna go with my last two. Are gonna both be from Kenya. So I did a bucket list trip for the first time last year, and uh, that'll be my number one. But number two is an animal called the dick dick, which is D I K. Yes, and the best animal name. Yeah, yeah, they, they, um, so this little guy is very cool. Um, he's prayed for the animal that I'm, I'm going to say is my number one, but the duck duck is, um, something that I saw killed, um, by a leopard once. Well, I've, I've, I saw a couple of them in Kenya get killed. And, uh, this particular one was left. Um, so me and a friend of mine got out and we, um, later that night went up to this little duck duck just to see. They're tiny little antelope. They looked like, they looked like hairs. Yeah, they're tiny, man. Anyway. 
ends up in their nose is most peculiar. It's like a trunk and it's the softest, softest thing I've ever felt in my life. It's like velvet. It, it's incredible. It's a, it can like, it can come in and out and, and it's, um, and they make their sound through there and everything like that. And it's super sensitive to smell and things like that. And it, it's just, I can't describe, there's nothing I've ever felt that feels like that. It's the softest, softest, softest thing that I've ever felt softer than any blanket that you could imagine. It's, it's incredible. Um, so that would be my number two. That's a little guy. And then, uh, number one, um, the one that, um, likes to eat them, uh, the black leopard. Um, so that's an, animal, that's an animal that since I, um, was a child and was watching jungle book, I always wanted a black leopard friend and, and then for, you know, my whole life I was desperate to see one and I just hoped maybe, maybe one day I'd see one in the wild, you know, it's just sort of like a fairy tale dream. That it's almost, almost like seeing a unicorn. Um, and anyway. I heard, um, luckily enough, that there was some research being done in Kenya and there was a photo taken of a black leopard. And now there's a number of individuals that are being seen um, in a particular region there. I got to go see for the first time last year. Um, I was here on my own for a few weeks and I rented a vehicle and I was driving around with like sort of a security guard in Kenya and we were chatting. He was translating. I couldn't speak Swahili. So he was ch uh, chatting to the guys on the ground about, you know, if they had any information about where the black cat could be. And eventually, after a couple of days, it didn't take us very long. Uh, we were actually very lucky. We found one on foot um, and it was a female and she was calling. She was vocalizing um, for us. I think I've actually put that video up. You might have seen it, but she was calling. And that is the most profound moment I've ever had in the wild in my entire life. Uh, I was shaking like a leaf. I couldn't, when I filmed that, I had to like go back to the car to get the camera. Went back to the car. She was kind of walking along. I wasn't far from the car that I found it, but I had to walk back, get the camera out. And I was shaking like this and I had to climb onto the roof and rest the camera on the roof and pressure cord and just let the camera sit there. I couldn't, I couldn't keep still. And she kept on just calling and calling and calling. It was incredible, man. Yeah. Yeah, some, some of the pictures that you took were unreal. You just kind of see the eyes. You've, it's, yeah. uh, it's definitely daunting. That was another individual. Um, so I've been very lucky. I've seen three now, like leopards. Um, but that one in particular, that was grand adult like I'm not sure how many people have seen her um, she's definitely been seen um, but to have that experience was like insane it doesn't feel it doesn't feel normal it's something you've dreamt of real right something you've dreamt of and I was like standing in front of me is insane that's awesome yeah. so my number five I'm going to go with surprisingly another bird I'm gonna go with the bald eagle very cool man yeah the bald like, eagle is uh you know big US uh staple but we also get them in Canada. Uh, just a quick story around the bald eagle. Uh, when I was younger, I used to live in, I guess, uh, like I said, I, I used to live up north in Canada. And there was this place that what we would do is, or during the summer, we would take a float plane, yes. grab all our gear for like two weeks, and then we would fly out to the Great Slave Lake. The plane would drop us off on this island. Funny enough, it's called Eagle Island. And uh, yeah, essentially we would fish there for two weeks. And just, there was an island, there was an eagle living on the island. And the fucking eagle, man, you just see it like go pick up some fish and stuff like that, like super majestic. And I mean, they're friggin' huge. Yeah, they are. I, I got to see them in Alaska two years ago. And I'm trying to send you a picture, but it's stuck in the cloud. Yeah, so I think it's struggling. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, these are these are special, special birds, man. I love bald eagles as well. So we get something very similar called the fish eagle, but you can, you can just see here. Uh, so check the eagle there and then watch. So that's, um, 
He's uh, catching catching a bird there called the kitty wake. Um, so you can see the bird there stuck in the talons at the bottom there. And so this is a board that you and Alaska on, and they just I was blown away by their size. They, they, you don't you don't expect it, right? You see it in movies or whatever or on the, on TV, yeah. but like in person, it just like you're just like, whoa, like what is that? If ever you get the opportunity to go there, that's that's one of my favorite safaris, man, is Alaska, brown, brown bears. And you go and you, you walk in, you're like in the rivers and stuff and waders and whatever, and you photograph them and stuff on, on the salmon run and you walk with them in, in open fields and things like that. And that's that's a really, really incredible experience. Um, and then you get to go fishing there and you see bald eagles like crazy as well. We went to a place with Seward in Alaska. I was there with clients and we went to go see, um, we were looking for orca whales and we saw eagles like this. We went past the fishery there. And there was just, man, I swear to God, there was 200 bald eagles. Just every tree that we looked in, there was just bald eagles, juveniles, full grown, whatever, just all over the place, constantly calling and calling and calling. And just, they were just grabbing scraps of, of fish. That's fish crazy. Nuts. Nuts. Yeah. Fucking crazy. So I'm just going to remind the people of the t- our top five. So uh, Nick's got the pangolin, the giant anteater, the jaguar, the dick dick, and the black leopard, which I, I've, first of all, like when we started this, I knew I was going to get killed. Like your, your animals are going to be a lot cooler than mine. Uh, the, mine is the moose, the toucan, the black bear, the reindeer slash caribou, and the bald eagle. So on the Sunday, you guys can then now vote on which group of uh, animals you think are the most fascinating. But anyways, Nick, listen, man, this was awesome. Yeah, thanks for the I people. really enjoyed having you on. Cheers, man. Yeah, I, I like it. Just it just feels like we've just kind of begun our conversation. Yeah. I. Listen, I, I hope you want to come on again because I've still got a ton of questions for you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, maybe share a couple more uh, stories and a couple more beers. Uh, I, I guess just a, a parting uh, uh, question here. What's So you mentioned that you're going to Uganda next for the, the gorilla hunt. What what else is kind of next for you? Uh, yeah, so I go. So we're going next week Friday. I'm taking a family of four there. Uh, we're starting in Kenya, actually. So we're going to an elephant orphanage in Kenya. We're going to... Oh, um, wow and spend a bit of time which would be really nice and you get to you know just help the orphans out i guess and by being there same thing i was talking about just not just sort of supporting and then you get to spend the day with the elephants and we're going to help with feeding and things like that and whatever and then see what the guys are up to do game drive in the area as well and um, so we've got two different destinations we're going to do safari there in kenya as uh, so that's one of them and then we go to uganda from there we're going to do a gorilla trick we've got two gorilla tricks and we're going to do a chimpanzee um trick as well um and then i've got a couple of other trips coming up i've got another one to botswana just after that um we're going to be going for the regular you know the lions and leopards the elephants giraffes buffalo the whole the whole world so that's with a guest of mine that likes to photograph cats so we're going to be highly focused on big cats um and then yeah i've got a couple of other trips coming up with one we're going to be doing some stuff with cheetahs um some cheetahs that we're working pretty closely with at the moment that um, we're helping to sort of get used to people their mom was killed by a leopard very sad story in the wild but they were three months old at the stage and now they've been you know hand raised and now they need to be released back into the wild not just yet when they're about two years old but they need to be used to people and they need to be taught how to be wild cheetahs so that's a, a process that's mm. great and I'm hoping to really interesting. I'm hoping to when these ladies come out be able to take them to that game reserve. And at that stage we're gonna be walking with the cheetahs in the wild. So um, you know, sort of taking them from their holding area. They've got an area that's fenced off for them. Um quite a big area. Um, but it's fenced off for them to keep them safe and things at night from lions and stuff like that. And then at during the day we're gonna teach them 
part of the cheetahs. You're take them walking, they're going to learn how to hunt. They're going to do all of these sorts of things until, you know, until the time that they sort of stop listening to you and they start just living in the wild, I guess. So, um, so I'm going to take guests there and hopefully by that stage, we're able to have them at a point that, yeah, we can walk in a wild with them and guests and do some photographs and things. And then a couple of other safaris and then I'm off to Brazil again um, to go photograph the Jaguars later this year, which is really exciting. And then, yeah, oh, yeah. planning, just busy planning a bunch of safaris and then I'm going to become a father in August. So I've got a little baby. Oh, my... congratulations, man. <laughs> so super excited about that too. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So you're a busy, busy guy. That's going to be my wildest encounter for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. A lot of exciting stuff in your future. Uh, yeah. Just want to remind the people that they can check you out on Instagram at, at Nick Clear. Clear is K-L-E-E-R and your company Clear Exposure. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, man. And yeah, like I said, I, I look forward to having you back on because this this was so much fun. Yeah, gross. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Chat to you later. All right, cheers. Thank you for listening to Two Beers Till Takeoff. Do you want free additional content or just to stay connected with the show? Then give us a follow on our social media platform. That means TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of them. Are you in need of podcast production services, video editing, or anything in between? Then look no further than Strut Sound Productions, the official producer of the Two Beers Till Takeoff podcast. Music produced by Alex. Check out his work in our show notes. Voiceover done by Viking Leo K. See you next week on Two Beers Till Takeoff.